everybody. Amen. Good to be back at Bethlehem Church. And wonderful to be here on a Sunday to experience what you experience week after week after week. And I love the presence of the Lord that I feel here in the house today. Amen. God's put a word on my heart that I'm anxious to share. It is a word of revelation. And if we can receive revelation today, then great things can happen in the kingdom of God. Revelation isn't just about words that we receive to our mind. But Jesus told Simon Peter when he just received the revelation of the one God in Christ that flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. It is a father relationship with God that allows you to receive revelations that God wants to speak to us today. So I'm going to ask us to pray in just a moment and ask the Father to reveal to us His Word, His direction, His purpose. I'm reading first from John chapter 8 and begin reading at verse 3. You might have saw the table with all the books in the foyer. This is part of my wife's ministry and I'm anxious for her to come with me perhaps next time. But she has written several books that you'll find out there. The book, Woman's Voice, I think I brought for the Wednesday night. Woman's Voice, we've sold over 8,000 copies. It's been a huge hit. She made a devotional to go with that, and women are loving the devotional for ladies' Bible studies together or by themselves. Also, she wrote a book called Clothed. That's for men and women. It speaks not of physical clothing, but of what we clothe our spirits with. And as I read it, Revelation was in the book. And then also there's some Bible studies on rest and some other things. So Cash App, Venmo, credit card, we'll do whatever so we can make sure that you get this in your hands and in your library. John chapter 8, verse 3. The scribes and Pharisees brought unto Jesus a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So then we continued to ask him. He lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Maybe one of the greatest acts of mercy recorded here in the Word of God Throughout human history, maybe one of the greatest acts. But this more than just a tremendous story of mercy and grace. There's revelation of Jesus Christ here. So I want to preach today witnesses. Witnesses. Give high honor to Pastor V 
and to First Lady, love and appreciate them and their family. Also honor to Bishop and, and Lady, we love and appreciate the Wilsons. God bless you. You may be seated. Anytime that I am reading the Gospel of John or one of his three epistles or the revelation of Jesus Christ, I'm doing more than just seeing what's on the surface because John is known as John the Revelator. That's right. He has a gifting of revelation and enlightenment. He has the ability to receive revelation and to enlighten others. And it is throughout his epistles, the last book in the New Testament, and it's throughout the gospel. So when I'm looking at John's writing, I'm looking beyond just the words on the surface. What is John trying to reveal to me about Jesus that is not just on the surface? This is absolutely one of these texts and one of these situations. Two questions I think that people will often ask when you hear this story preached or when you hear this talked about. I think the first question that traditionally everybody wants to know is, well, what did Jesus write on the ground? <laughs> and theologians and preachers have argued and discussed this for generations, thousands of years. And no one knows the real answer <laughs> because the scripture didn't tell us what he wrote. But I'll give you my opinion. The scripture lets us know this, that when Jesus said something, that they were burned in their conscience. So it wasn't that they saw something, but when they heard this, so it's not really important what he wrote, but in context, it's obvious that he was ignoring them. They're asking him a question. It's like he turns his back on and decides to just kneel down and aimlessly run his finger through the dust. So my opinion is, is that Jesus was doodling. <laughs> you know, he's drawing pictures of behemoths and dinosaurs and, you know, God loves the world, hearts and kisses. I, I don't know, but I think it was just absentmindedly running his finger in the dust. Your, your opinion is as good as anybody's opinion. We don't know. But I think he was just showing them he's ignoring them. And the second question that must be answered is this problem that seems to be happening. Can Jesus arbitrarily decide to ignore law? so that mercy can happen. What, what is the situation going on? Is grace a higher law than righteousness? Like some would say the law of aerodynamics is a higher law than gravity. So there's laws that sometimes build upon others. Is that's what's happening here with grace and mercy versus law and righteousness? What is happening here? And that demands an answer that we will speak to in the place. As you begin to read this text, I accented in my reading a few words that I hope you picked up on. I accented words like law, accuse, 
convicted, accusers, condemned, and condemned. These words I accented so you'd realize this is more than just a great story of mercy and grace. But John is trying to let us see this is legal action that is happening. Something is happening here in a courtroom. That is more than just a courtroom of the streets where Jesus was ministering, but it's a courtroom of heaven, and it's a courtroom of the kingdom of God. So, understanding that, then let's begin to look into these first few verses we read and see how the courtroom sets up. The first thing that you find is that the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman allegedly caught in the very act of adultery, and they put her in the midst. That's like bringing her front and center to court. She's standing before the judge's table, before the judge's desk. They have put her on trial. Now, in reality, we find pretty quickly that they've already decided what should happen. They're a prejudice court. They've already decided she's been caught. We're about to stone her, and Moses' law said this, but the only reason they're hesitating is because they're wanting to tempt and trick Jesus. And so they are asking him, what do you say? When they began to speak to Jesus, they call him master. But in this phraseology, they're not speaking to him as a master slave. They're speaking of him that one has mastered the law. In our, techno in our world today, we would call this a lawyer or perhaps a judge, an attorney, one that has studied the law, knows the law. And the fact that they have brought her and put her in the midst shows us that they are acting or they're wanting him to act as a judge. So they're saying, you're the master of the law. You can judge these situations. This is what we know the law of Moses says, but what will you judge? You know the law, so you're going to tell on yourself, if you will, by what you will say. They thought they had him backed into a corner because either choice that Jesus makes, it looks like it will destroy his ministry. If he chooses to say, well, hey, Man, everybody makes bad choices and mistakes. Why don't we just forgive her? Then they're going to say, no one should follow your ministry because you are lawless. Kind of the stuff we've seen in our world today. Ignoring the law. Why would anybody want to follow you and your beliefs and what you speak of the kingdom because you don't believe the law? So if he chooses mercy, they'll say that. But if he chooses law and says, wait, that's right. That's what the law says. Give me a stone also. Let's take her out and kill her. Then they're going to say, then what is all this preaching of falsehood that you're saying a new love, a new commandment I've given to you, that you're to love one another, and what's all this mercy and grace that you're preaching? Because you believe it just like we do, therefore you should go through our seminaries and go through our political religious process. Whatever he chooses, they think that they have destroyed his ministry. But this is the good news. Truth can stand up to every temptation. Truth can stand up to every question. Truth is relevant to that generation, and it's relevant to this generation. Truth is truth all the time, or it is not truth at all. 
If there's any absolute in our world today, it's that truth is still truth. Now let me say this. Our world today is trying to change the definition of what truth is. And all this garbage with that's your truth and that's my, that's not truth, that's opinions. The Bible says let every man be a liar and God be truth. So if your truth does not match up with the word of God, then the word says it should be a liar. I don't want to get sidetracked here, but it's interesting to me that what used to be in our Webster's Dictionary in print about what science is, about what truth is, now you look up digitally and it's a changed vocabulary. Digital age is able to shift the way that we think and the vocabulary of our words. Just throwing it in there for you. Those that have conspiracy theories, that's another one for you. <laughs> truth. So what is this truth that can stand up to every temptation, every trial? John tells us in his gospel, John 17 and 17, Jesus is speaking and he declares, Thy word is truth. So you want to know what is the answer for every situation today? It's the word of God. You want to know what is relevant? It's the word of God. You want to know what is the answer and that is absolute? It's the word of God. But then in the same gospel, we find the revelator declaring this. John 14 and 6, Jesus again is speaking, and he says, I am the way, the, the truth, and the life. So wait a minute. John says that the word is truth. And then John says that Jesus is truth. So which one of these is appropriate and which one of these is right? Is there a discrepancy in the infallible word of God? Of course not. That's why John the Revelator begins his writing in John 1 and 1 with the foundation of this understanding. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the infallible Word is God. The same was in the beginning with God. Then in verse 14 he said, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Well, when did that happen? When God came down to earth, wrapped himself in flesh in Bethlehem's manger and was born to live and to move among us. God, word, became flesh. So word is truth and Jesus is truth and they are one and the same. The last part of verse 14 says, And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, look at this, full of grace and truth. There's a phenomena that happened when Jesus Christ was born. Never before could you have the fulfillment of grace and truth together. Before you had to choose either truth or mercy righteousness or grace but when Jesus Christ came now you don't have to choose because in him you get grace and truth he is full of grace he is full of truth the psalmist prophesied of this phenomena 
in Psalms 85 and 10 when he said there's coming a time in human history when mercy and truth will meet together, where righteousness and peace will kiss each other. And he's speaking about the phenomena of grace and truth fulfilling and being full in Jesus Christ. So, understanding that, we know in this situation that we have read a text, it's impossible for Jesus to choose righteousness and ignore grace. He's full of truth and grace. By the same token, impossible for him to choose grace and ignore law. I've heard some churches make this statement, and I'm going to admit that I'm making a little bit of assumption here. But some churches have put forth the idea that we are a word church. And I'm assuming that what they mean by that is that they place a lot of emphasis on the word and not a whole lot on the movement of the spirit. That is tremendously ignorant because you cannot separate the spirit from the word. They are one and the same. By the same token, some have said we're a spirit church. And I'm assuming they don't put a lot of emphasis on the word. Just as ignorant, you cannot separate the two together. If you say that you love Jesus and you're not consuming the word of God, you're confused. Because this is who he is. If you find that it is difficult for you to be just head over heels in love with God, then you start reading this word. And when you find out what he's like, who he is, you fall in love with him all over again. This is truth. It is absolute. It is Jesus. It is word. So impossible for him to choose one or the other. Absolutely impossible. So what does he do here to blow them away? Let's go back to the courtroom scene. They brought this woman and put her in front of the judge's table. They demanded on him, you will judge her. Moses' law said she should be stoned, but what will you say? And Jesus' reaction to this is to stoop down and write on the ground. In essence, what he is doing is dismissing himself from the judge's table and in that courtroom setting, he goes down to the defending lawyer or attorney's table and he takes his position there. Let me show you that that's what he's doing. John 12 and 47 declares it plainly. Jesus said, I've come not to judge, but to save. And in the time of this woman, all the way up to where we are living today, that is still the ministry of Jesus Christ. He is not here to judge you today. He is not here to try and find something wrong with you so that he can sentence you to pain and punishment. He is here to fight for you. He is at your table. He is on your side. He's going to use what's legally, righteously right to do something for you legally that sets you free. Now, to qualify that, the very next verse, John 12 and 48 says, the word that I have spoken will judge you in the last day. This is not an easy-peasy, sleazy grace message. There is a judgment coming at the last day, and it's the word of God that has been spoken and forever settled in heaven that we will be judged by. But until that day, he's fighting for us. He's not come to judge, but to save us. Save us. So, 
he has stooped down, dismissing himself from the judge's table, positioned himself at the defending attorney's table to fight for her, and he's ignoring them. And they are demanding that he gives them an answer. They're saying, what are you going to say? Come on, don't ignore us. Give us an answer. You've got to speak. You've got to talk to us. And finally, he rises up from his defending lawyer's table, and he gives an opening and a closing statement with one sentence. Wouldn't that be amazing if that happened today? It's unfortunate that our lawyers and judges are not as smart as Jesus Christ. <laughs> Thank God for those that are trying their best to help us. So we have him standing up and making one sentence statement that shuts court down. It's over. So what does he say? Well, he simply says, those of you who have not missed the mark, that's the word sin here, let him cast a stone at her. But in context of what he's speaking here, he's talking about you're in the courtroom and if you're not doing something here illegal, trying to push something through, then go ahead and follow the laws that Moses spoke by God. This is not just a sign of, come on, you're not perfect either, give her a break. It's much more than that. Because he's going back to the very law that they demanded that he judge her by. And he's pulled a sentence from the law and he's declaring this law is very relevant for where we are in this courtroom addressing. That law can be found in this text or in this message in just a moment. First thing I want to bring your attention to is that it's true. That adultery is a sin of the Old Testament that this woman lived under that was worthy of death. Even one of the Ten Commandments declares, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Leviticus 20 and 10 declares that the penalty for adultery should be death, according to the law that she lived under. Moses' law declares this, that for sins worthy of death, there must be two or three eyewitnesses. Very important. Because if you're going to judge someone in Moses' law, there has to be a two or three eyewitness accounts for sentences that will be judged as death. Moses' law declares that the witnesses are to be the first ones to pick up the stones and put to death the guilty. There's the phrase that Jesus used. That for those that are guilty, the witnesses are to be the first ones to pick up stones. Now, I thank God for our civil and justice laws that we have in our nation. It keeps us from anarchy. But our, let me say this as strong as I can. When I speak about these laws that were set up in the foundation of our nation, I'm not talking about white man's laws, European laws. What I'm talking about is laws that men and women of several different colors got from the Word of God principle. So don't be confused about what's going on. And a lot of the laws that we have and the judicial process comes from the Word of God. But there are some that have been watered down through the years. And one of them is the law of the witness. Today, my experience has been that if you get on the stand and perjure yourself, lie on the witness stand, 
that a lot of times you'll get maybe a scolding from a judge. Sometimes you'll get a hand slap of a fine, a couple hundred dollars. If it's a higher profile case, you might spend a couple nights in prison. If it's a political situation, it might be a little longer. But we do not have much judgment for the penalty of false witnessing. However, you've got to realize how strong God is against false witnessing. This is why he hates a lying tongue. Because the law of Moses said this, if you witness someone in adultery, they went through the court process and declared guilty, you as a witness have to go flip the switch on the electric chair and take their life. The accountability of your eyewitness has to be so strong that you pick up the stones and take their life because what you saw was a detriment to your nation and you eyewitnessed and you spoke it and therefore you had to exact judgment. How much more strict or maybe even more truthful would our eyewitnesses be if they had to have that accountability? But it goes even further than that because Deuteronomy 19 and 19 says this, false witnesses should receive the same death penalty that they wish to put on the one that they witnessed against falsely. <laughs> So now, according to Moses' law, if you witness on the stand, yeah, I was an eyewitness, I saw her caught in the very act of adultery, and she is freed, then you as a false witness are put on trial for death. That's a greater accountability. Our laws and our courts would be a little different if there was that kind of accountability for our witnesses. So understanding what's happening here, we get a better picture. The Pharisees and the scribes Jesus had the hardest time with. He speaks to them this way. You're whitened sepulchers full of dead men's bones. What he's saying is you look good on the outside. You look like a Christian, if I can say it that way, on the outside. But inside you're full of hate and anger and... He said, you do things on the outside to make yourself look good, but there's no love, there's no compassion, there's no mercy, there's no kingdom character in your heart. But not only did Jesus tell them this, they believed this as well. They didn't think it was a heart situation. They thought it was an action situation. And they wrote encyclopedia-sized books on what they could do and could not do. One of them was this, that if they looked upon sin, they themselves became guilty. So it's inconceivable knowing that this is the verse that Jesus explained to them. If they were watching adultery, they would close their eyes. They would not see it. They would not be caught dead going to a place of ill repute where that was happening. They, they would not allow themselves anywhere close. So it's inconceivable that they're true eyewitnesses. Maybe they thought everybody knows this lady's reputation. Easy, loose. No one will question. Maybe they said, well, I've got it on good authority that anytime anybody starts with that, they're about to gossip. Just get ready. I've got on good authority that such and such did such and such to us. But for whatever reason, it's inconceivable that they actually were eyewitnesses. So when Jesus makes that statement, if you're here in the courtroom and you're, fought, you're not missing the mark, you're not, fought, you're not missing the law, you're obeying the law like it should be as true eyewitnesses, then go ahead and throw the stone. 
Jesus does a curious thing. The scripture says that he stoops down again and writes on the ground. He moves from one side of the courtroom where he's fighting for a woman fighting immorality battles and he goes now to the other side of the courtroom and he fights for them because he is ignoring them and giving them time to retract or recant their testimony. And as they stand there and realize that woman's not in trouble because we're not, not eyewitnesses. And we, we thought we was going to trip Jesus up, but he's not in trouble. But uh-oh, we could be tried in a death civil law for lying and not being true eyewitnesses. And Jesus waits and ignores giving them time to pull back their testimony and retract their statements. And one by one, from the eldest to the youngest, they realize the mercy of God is not just for her, but it's for us as well. Can I tell you, that's just the way Jesus does. He fights for the immoral, and he fights for the gossiper. He fights for those that are prostitutes, and he fights for those who cannot keep their eyes off of things they shouldn't. He fights for everyone. He's a savior. And he's fighting for us. Uh, seeing the mercy and the grace of Jesus, they drop their stones that they're holding to crucify her with, and they begin to walk out one by one. And finally, when they all have recanted or retracted their testimony, Jesus now speaks to the woman and declares unto her, I will not condemn thee. Go and sin no more. There's some things we need to realize here. This law from the Old Testament in the mouth of two or three witnesses is a New Testament law as well. In fact, it is a kingdom law wherever two or three are gathered together. There I'll be in them. It's a kingdom law. And so there needs to be more legally than just him saying, well, there's no witnesses here, so I guess it's a mistrial. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I do not condemn thee. Go and sin no more. But there needs to be two witnesses. Jesus is reaching to the past where the law is written. And he said from the beginning of the law, even from the foundation of the earth, there's a lamb of God that was created for the sins of the world. He's saying that's the truth of the law that I'm basing this on. And because there was a lamb of God, he's reaching forward to the future where he will go to Golgotha's hill and shed his blood for her sin and mistake. And he's saying, I am the lamb of God, and the word says it. That's two witnesses. But however, we realize that that's really only one witness because we've established the word and Jesus are just one. So he speaks to her in such a way that she has to open her mouth and testify in court. He said, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she says, no man. But that last word she says is so powerful when she calls him Lord. And I know we see that word all the time in the word of God. But what she's saying is, I make you Lord of my situation 
Lord of my life, Lord of my past mistakes. And that now that you say that you're the Lamb of God, you are my Lord. So therefore, I'm an eyewitness as well that you're the Lamb of God and you're going to pay the price for my sins to be washed away. So she agrees and in the mouth of two or three witnesses, he can declare to her, forgiven. I don't condemn thee either. Go. And sin no more. This is a microcosm of everything in the New Testament. It's not just one story, but the entire New Testament. Get, get, get the phraseology. Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. These are legal words that speaks of inheritance that God has for his people. Everything in the New Testament speaks of legality. This isn't an emotional thing that Jesus showed his love only emotionally and that he gives his spirit only through emotions. This is legal actions that are happening. We see words that really are designated for courtrooms when we say Romans 8 and 1, there's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. That is a legal statement that if you are in Christ and walking after the spirit, it's impossible for you to be condemned. Some people need to quote that law to the enemy of your soul. It's impossible for me to be condemned if I'm in Christ and walking in the Spirit. Testimony is so important in a courtroom. You can sit there in the courtroom all day long and believe something in your heart, but until you testify, it doesn't become legal. Your testimony is so important, Matthew 12 and 37. For by your words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. The power of life and death is in your tongue. It's, it's your testimony. It's what you speak. It's what you witness. Revelation 12 and 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. That's one witness. And by the word of their testimony, that's the second witness. Your word of your testimony gives you legal overcoming power against the enemy. Justification is a word we see in the New Testament. Sanctification. All these words we see are absolutely pointing us to realize that what's happening here in the New Testament is a legal operation by God himself to redeem fallen sinful mankind. In fact, every church service, I'm quickly coming to a close, every church service is a courtroom. It is. You come through these doors on a Sunday morning and immediately you're prosecuting attorney. The Bible calls him Satan, the accuser of the brethren. He immediately begins to stand up and testify for your ears and for God's ears. It's the same picture that we see when Satan appears before the throne of God saying, let me tell you about Job. Job just serving you because you're blessing him. He's accusing Job before God. That's his job. He still does that. So you come in and you sit here, maybe not even realizing it's a courtroom of heaven. And the prosecuting attorney begins to tell you, you're not like everybody else here. You're not going to receive anything. 
Oh, you didn't pray enough this past week. You're not going to be blessed. You should just be condemned. You haven't done what you should in your witness or in your ministry. You've been lazy, so therefore, you're just going to have to start all, all the things that he accuses you before God. When song service starts, this is the law being sung. We sing about a Savior and how he went to Calvary's Hill and paid the price for our sin. And oh, what a Savior. We talk about him as a good, good father. We talk about him fighting. He's the conqueror. He's overcome sin. And we sing about the law. When the preacher begins to preach, he's like Jesus taking that one verse from the law. God sent him here with that one verse to declare this is what needs to be spoken in their courtroom to loose people in the place. And so the lawyer speaks that one statement. But it's not over because now you have to decide what your testimony is because the word can say it, the spirit can say it, and it's one witness. But you've got to decide what your testimony and what your witness is. Isaiah 53 begins with this, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? That second statement answers back to the first statement. When it speaks about the arm of the Lord, it's talking about the power of God, the strength of God. So who is going to receive the power and the strength? Those that believe the report. The incredulous way in which the prophet begins to write this is, is understood when he said when Christ comes, he's going to bear our griefs. He's going to be wounded. He's going to carry our sorrow. He'll be bruised. He, he will have all this punishment that comes to him. Who could believe that that would be the one that's been prophesied of? But whoever believes that that's the Christ gets the strength and the power of God. So this is what you have to decide. You're here and the prosecuting attorney is screaming about your life, how you don't deserve anything. And then you begin to hear the songs about how good God is, how he paid the price, how he's done all these things for. The preacher preaches directly to your heart. Now you've got to be an eyewitness. So you've got to look into your heart and decide what you see. Do you really believe what you're hearing from the word of God? Bible lets us know if you believe not, you're already condemned. That There's no hope for you. But if you can believe what's being spoken and see that there's belief in your heart, then you've got to go the next step and you've got to testify in court. You've got to look and say, well, you know what? I've, I've not been perfect. I've made some mistakes. I've, not, I've been ignoring God, but I believe this stuff that's been sung, and I feel the presence. I believe that presence of God is here. I believe this. If you believe that, then you make your confession. Let, let, me, let me show you something, if I could, as I'm closing. Pastor, can you help me? Man, you're so tall. Mm. There's a... Misused, misunderstood statement in Christendom. And I'm not going to get it perfect because I don't have it memorized, but it goes something like this. I confess, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I accept him as my personal Savior. Okay? Now, if I tell you today, I believe in Pastor V, you know what I'm not saying. I'm not saying I believe he exists. <laughs> right? Or even that I believe he's a powerful man of God. But if I tell you 
I believe in Pastor V. I do both. Then you know what I'm saying is, I, I, I believe in who he is. I believe in what his conversation is. I believe in what he lives for. I believe in what he dies for. So if I tell you I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm not saying I believe he existed. Atheists know he existed. But if I say I believe in Jesus, that means I believe in his word because you can't separate the two. If you're confessing that he's Lord of your life, that means what this word says lords over you. And whatever it declares, that's what you do. And we have made it in Christendom some kind of magic formula that you say certain words and it's true. That's not the way it works because you can be a false witness, a poor eyewitness, and not believe, and it does nothing for you. But if you truly believe, if you looked in your heart and you're like, I've not done everything I should, but I'm telling you, I believe that there's a God that loves me and even though I don't deserve it, I know he died for me and there's a plan of salvation for me to repent, be baptized in his name, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you believe that, then you have a legal right for the salvation journey in your heart. Legally, right. The scripture declares this, that if we have mistakes and failures, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's not sneaking in here and stealing you away from hell's fire. He has paid the price and given you the opportunity to go to court and legally get your hearts ready for heaven through your belief and your confession and following the full word of God. Witnesses, stand with me in the house today. I feel like I need to throw this in. Isaiah 53 tells us he was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our nickel, chastised our peace upon him with his stripes we are healed. I can prove to you through the word of God that legally Jesus came to give healings and miracles to his covenant children. I can prove that to you through the word of God. So what you have to decide when you see Isaiah 53 and God has sent the lawyer to speak to you and say, hey, there's healing in the place today. You've got to look and see if you believe that. And if you believe that, you make confession. And now as your witness has been spoken, I confess I'm here for healing today. Legal right for your healing has come upon you because of the word and your testimony. Mouth of two or three witnesses. Every promise that is ours there is an operation of believing and confessing. Yes. It's why in Romans 10, Paul is writing to the church. If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. It's going to save you out of every situation because here's the formula. Believe what the Word of God says concerning this situation. Confess what the Word of God says. This, and it's legally your right. Now let me qualify. If you have become a disciple of Christ, and you've asked God for ministry, you have a legal right for the fellowship of suffering. And to pick up your cross and follow him to produce within you things 
that will be advantageous for others in ministry for those around you. Legal right. I'm going to ask you, I feel like I need to move in ministry for just a few moments. Let the prophetic flow. What stirs that gift in me is worship. So would you just, would you just begin to worship? Thank your Father for revelation today. Thank your Heavenly Father for revelation today. And then begin to thank Him for the legality of righteousness that He's put in your, just worship just a little bit. Would you do that? Lift up your voice. Lift up your, lift up your voice. Beautiful. Beautiful. Bring your volume down. I'm going to bring your volume down. The reason why I'm doing that, I don't want there to be confusion. Paul said when gifts of the Spirit are flowing, there shouldn't be confusion. So let me speak through the microphone without a lot of volume, everybody, right now. Just keep that atmosphere of worship. Where's the young lady? There you are back here. Young lady that came down for prayer earlier. You know what she, would you come? Where's the young lady that was with you that kind of brought you down there? There you go. You Friends, related? You're related? How, how kind of relation is it? Cousins? Beautiful. What's your first name? Elsie? Kelsey. I thought you was like, you know, the, the lady that ices everything up, right? Tell how connected I am, right? Kelsey, beautiful. Kelsey, God did some tremendous things for you today. Is it okay if I speak to you? I'm going to share some things that's going to make you very vulnerable, but there's an opportunity of healing here. You okay, Kelsey? I can see abuse that has happened in your past and how it has shaped your life and how things that have been spoken against you and a spirit of rejection that you have dealt with have made it difficult for you to believe even that God would love you that God would give strength and mercy to you. I see depression that comes to you at times. It's a battle. Not just you, it's a battle that tries to come against you. But the steps you made today, Kelsey, is delivering power. Some of the things that you've dealt with in the past, you're not going to have to deal with anymore because there's a loosing of healing that has begun to happen in your life. Do, do you feel that? Do you know that that's what's beginning to happen? I want you to lift up one hand, Kelsey, if you want to receive it. And I'm going to pray right now that there be a confidence come upon you that what the enemy thought he would destroy you through abuse and through rejection, through depression, that you would be loosed even now by the power of the name. Put your hand on it with faith, sis. There you go. I loose you to receive the healing legally that your father has for you. Depression, be gone in the name of Jesus. Let peace and faith reign by the power of the name of the Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name. We okay, Pastor? We all right? Good, good, good. Once you know I'm totally submitted to Pastor as we minister here, so don't be afraid. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Kelsey, it's very important that you find that liberty and pray in the Spirit again. Pray like you were praying earlier in the service and let that begin to, because that lifts up your faith and your faith is where your peace is going to come from, your joy is going to come from, and your, your confidence in God is going to come from, okay? Let this girl here be a, be a sounding block for you that when you've got questions and when you're thinking things in your mind, it's not just you, it's the battle that's going on around you. 
just want to be able to help you and give you strength and stuff. Is that okay? Is that okay? Would you do this? Because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if you are all right with me looking at you and letting the Holy Ghost speak to me some things I see in you, would you just lift a hand? I don't, I don't want to offend anybody here. Since you're over here on the right, would you come? You're, you're in the black. You've got something over your... Yes. What's your first name? Kathy. I might need some interpretation here. Kathy, come on. I mean just knowing their names. That's what I'm speaking Kathy, the enemy tries to beat you down over and over. And you don't even understand how powerful you are in intercession. There are some things in your life because not completely in a place where you know that you want to be. That the enemy keeps tearing you down because of that, beating you down. But you have a gift of intercession and it's time to realize you can be effective for your family and that's your burden. You can be effective for your family through your intercession. And you can be powerful in intercession for this region and for this church. Kathy, condemnation has built in your life so long until you don't even know how to live without it. But right now, I want you to lift up your hands. There is therefore now no condemnation to those which are in Christ and walk after the Spirit. We are in Christ and we walk after the Spirit. We rebuke what would hinder us from walking after the Spirit and we declare no condemnation by the power of the name of Jesus. Legally, you are set free. I see revival trying to happen in your intercession. So you let intercession begin to flow through you. Call the names of them children. Call the names of them loved ones. In Jesus, would you worship again? Just liberty is what I'm needing in the spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Give yourself to worship just a little longer. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. The Holy Ghost just showed me in a vision a door. I saw a door that had been closed, that a wind blew. And the door, the wind caused the door to open up. It's pressed hard against the door, and the wind is blowing. And the opportunity for this church by the wind of the Spirit is a new door and a new dimension that God has called you to. What you have prayed for, what you have fasted for, what you have longed for, the door is open. Walk through it with faith. Walk through it boldly. Walk through it with power, knowing that this is your time. I see a revival of backsliders. I see a revival of loved ones and neighbors and co-workers. It's an open door. The wind has blown the door open. Real quickly, if you... Everybody that's in the altar, stay in the altar. But if you are here and you need help with your salvation journey, 
It don't matter where it is in your salvation journey. Whether you need to make steps of belief and confession, if you need to make steps of, of repentance, you need to make steps of infill the Holy Ghost, or you need to be refilled. It doesn't matter where you are in your salvation journey. If you want to have legal help by the Spirit today for your salvation journey, I want you to come stand in this front. There you go. There's some guests that I'm talking to right now as well. Go ahead and make your response of faith. There you go. There you go. From all over the place, people that have been going to church for a long time, some that's your first time. I'm inviting everyone that needs help, legal help in their salvation journey. Beautiful. Beautiful. I see ministry upon you, girl. I want to talk to you later on today. You're like a, like a rosebud that's not yet opened up. People really haven't seen the beauty of, of who, what your life is, what your testimony is. You're afraid to really tell your testimony. But there's such a healing that comes through your worship and your praise. It doesn't just heal those, it heals you. Through your worship and your praise, it's going to open you up like and the beauty and the aroma of who you are in God is going to be seen. It's going to be a testimony and a witness. From the dysfunctionality of your background, something beautiful and powerful. Yeah. Everybody that's responded to this altar, let's put into practice. Don't just have a emotional response. Let's put into practice. I want you to look into your heart and be a true eyewitness of what you believe. What, what do you see? Do you really see that you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe that he loves you? Do you believe that he went to Calvary's Hill even if you are the only one he died? Do you believe? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he paid the price so that you could have forgiveness through repentance, cleansing through water baptism, and a new life through the infant of the Holy Ghost? Do you believe this? Then if you believe that, confess what you believe to heaven today. In the courts of this altar, would you just confess, I believe in you. I believe in everything you stand for. I believe you're my Savior who paid the price. I believe you loved me if no one else needed. I believe. Confess your belief. Go ahead. Confess your belief. Confess it. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Now I want you to thank God for his goodness. I couldn't pay the price, but you paid it for me. I was sentenced to death, but you are my redeemer. Now I want you to lift your hands. I'm going to pray for you to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you have received it before, I want you to receive it again. If you've never received it, this is your opportunity. By the authority of the word of God. And by the power of the name of Jesus, in that we have legally followed your word, we're asking for that gift. That's the promise of the Father. Receive ye the Holy Ghost.
In Jesus' name. Somebody speaking in tongues that the refreshing of the Holy Ghost is upon you. Somebody speaking in tongues as the refreshing of the Holy Ghost is upon you. I'm going to invite everybody in the congregation to come to the altar. I'm going to pray one more prayer. Then we're going to have an altar service just as short or as long as you want it to be. Invite everybody to come close. Guest, if you'd come close. Just come close. We all can't fit here, but you can come close. If you physically need to sit down, maybe the first one or two pews would be a great place. Everybody close. Everybody close. Yeah, they're still coming. Press a little more here so more people stand away. There you go. Thank you for doing that. Beautiful. Beautiful. How many of you believe the word that went forth just a few moments ago? How many of you felt the prophetic in that? That God has opened the door like a wind blow. God took me back, Pastor, when we walked through that little thing there. You remember that little vacuum thing? That the wind that pushed. The wind just blew it open. And that this is an opportunity for us to walk through a door. And according to your belief that God has spoken through a servant today, would you confess the belief in your heart that God has poured out revival like never before here at Bethlehem Church? That miracle signs and wonders like never before are for before us. That backsliders are coming. <laughs> that our loved ones are coming. I want you to look and see if you believe that. Then I want you to confess what you believe. I believe revival is here. I believe backsliders. Confess what you believe. I believe my family is going to be saved. I believe. I believe. Confess what you see in your heart. Jesus name. In Jesus name. Sis, your tall young lady in the gray dress. Yes. I see a ministry of Abigail upon you. I don't know if you understand what that is, but we can, we can talk about that later. A pastor can explain it to you. I see a battle of weariness. It's not just the season that you're in. The enemy wants you to be drowned by the season that you're in. wants you to feel the horrors of suffocation. This is just the way I'm seeing it right now. So that you don't walk into the joy and the peace of this dimension. God's going to give you quality even though you might not have quantity. And if you would be used of God, he's going to bring people to you 
You might not have time to knock on every door, but he's going to bring people to you. And if you will answer his call and go to that prayer closet, he's going to usher you into the throne room quickly, quickly. You're going to have effectiveness and power. You might not have a lot of quantity right now in this season, but God's going to give you quality. And the soul winner that you are, that you've not walked in in much in a while, God's going to exercise that dream back in your spirit and your heart. And a healing that you've not completely received from horrors of your past, you're going to receive a complete healing as you walk forward in this passion. I see a generational anointing upon you. You married? See here? God's going to give you a voice, both of you, and your testimonies, not just your giftings and your preaching, your testimonies are going to stir entire congregations. I just saw a number of 1,000. You'll stand before and preach to 1,000, and your testimony is what God will loose you to speak. As you speak the hurt of where you come from, healing, will happen. I don't want to weary you, but there's a lingering in the Holy Ghost. Is it all right just to linger a little longer? Jesus' name. Feel that intercession starting to move across this place. Let's tap into that intercession. Move over beside a lady, young ladies. Come on, men, would you grab someone by the shoulder or the arm and begin to pray for them? I'm loosening all of the ministry to go through this altar. There's impartation of gifts and there's impartation of anointings. I'm going to get out of the microphone and move everything I can in this altar to pray for Holy Ghost and healings and miracles. Whatever your gift is, exercise it right now as intercession is in this place. God wants to fill people with the Holy Ghost. He wants to deliver individuals. He wants to stir the faith. He wants ministry to be imparted. That's it as we began to sing and play. Just let the Holy Ghost guide and direct you right. If there's somebody beside you that needs the Holy Ghost, pray them through the Holy Ghost. It's the right time. That's it, Bethlehem Church. Be powerful. Walk toward that door. Walk toward that door. Move through that threshold. I declare it's time. I declare it's time.
Amen. Can we worship the Lord together this morning for the great things that he's done and that he's continuing to do? Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Please be sure you come back tonight. Amen. We're thankful for the ministry of Brother Green. We're going, I'm going to ask you to come early to the prayer room, and I want you to pray with intensity. When we come in the church service, let's just step into worship with intensity because we won't get Brother Green up early. We want the Holy Ghost to be able to minister and have as much time as he wants to do. So we're, we're not going to take a whole lot of time in preliminaries this evening. So let's come and let's come with the mindset that we're not going to have to get warmed up. We're not going to have to get tuned up. It's not going to take me four songs to get where I need to be in the Holy Ghost. We're going to step right in and we'll let God do the work. And that starts in the prayer room by how we pray. Amen. I understand that the time is a little late, but we're getting ready to do, I think, what is this, like four weeks in a row I've dedicated a baby. I wish I did it 52 weeks of the year, as long as it's not my baby. <laughs> Amen. Emmett Joe Michael Murphy. Amen. We love the Murphy family around here, don't we? Amen. Amen. Sister, Sister Candace grew up in the Blue Mountain Church. Brother Joe McKnight was her pastor for most of her formative years. And I think it's a great honor that they've chosen to give his name as one of the middle names for this baby. Emmett Joe Michael Murphy. Born on January the 12th of this year. Amen. What a wonderful family. Amen. I, I love, look, Zayden's my buddy. This is, this is Emmett's older brother. Zayden's my buddy. He calls me Uncle B. When, when Justice and all them were little, they called me Uncle John. And so he calls me Uncle B, so I got him to start calling my wife Aunt B. <laughs> Barney Fife would be so proud. Amen. We have generations here. Generations of this family in this church. Not only in this church, but in other churches in Indiana, other churches here in the state of Mississippi. What a, what a blessing it is. The, this, this baby doesn't understand the value of a heritage. And so what I'm doing this morning is another step in a long line of apostolic anointing. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter number six, this is called the Shema. This is to the Hebrew Bible, the most important passage of scripture. It is a center point of their doctrine because it comes right after where the Bible said, hear O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. But it's not enough just to know that he's one Lord. There has to be some action taken. And so here's what the Lord commanded them to do. He said, these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. How do we teach diligently to our children? We talk about it 
when we're in our house, when we're walking by the way, when we're traveling and, and doing our business. When we lay down, when we go to bed, we mention our faith and when we wake up in the morning. And so Justice and Candace have brought Emmett Joe Michael Murphy to the house of God today to dedicate him to the Lord. Just like Hannah brought Samuel and like Paul told Timothy that from a child he had been taught the Holy Scriptures. Today we bring baby Emmett before the church and before God to trust God to place his hand upon this child's life. Understanding that we have a promise from the word of God that what we have committed unto him, he is able to keep. And so today what Candace and Justice and this family are doing is they're obeying what the wise writer of the Proverbs said. When he instructed parents, he said, train up a child in the way he should go. The word train goes beyond tell. He didn't say tell a child the way he should go. He said train up a child. And so when you come to church, you're training. When you worship, you're training. When you go to the prayer room, you're training. When you come to the altar, you're training. When you live holy, you're training. When you serve in the music team and in the Sunday school and in the juniors department, you're training. Your training does not come from your words alone, it comes from your actions. And I think this baby is blessed of God to have trainers more than just tellers for parents. And so you have come today to bring Emmett Joe Michael Murphy to the Lord and to pledge yourselves to bring him up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And let me just stop this baby dedication to say, I just looked at that baby's head and I am so jealous. <laughs> These babies are born with... Justice was born with an afro. <laughs> you have brought this child to present him to the Lord. But really what you've done is you've come to pledge yourselves to the Lord. The child is an arrow. You are the aimer. The child goes the direction that you aim him. And so you've brought him before the Lord, pledging yourselves to bring him up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So if that is your intention, I ask you to, act, to answer, we do, to these promises. Do you recognize that this child is a gift from God and give God thanks for this blessing? Do you here on this day dedicate this child to the Lord who gave him to you and promised to give him every possible benefit of home, school, and church and to protect and to provide for him. Do you here today ask God's blessing upon his life to guide, guard, and direct him through all of his years? And do you promise to always raise this child in the truth of God's holy word, putting the Lord first in all matters? 
And do you promise to live an example of faithfulness, holiness, and virtue before the Lord in such a way that your words and actions do not conflict? Amen. I love baby dedications. Have I ever said that around here? I'm getting ready. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Bishop, will you come pray, please? I get to hold this baby. He said he might be getting fussy, and that doesn't bother me because a church that never has a baby cry doesn't have a future. Amen. He's not fussy. He's cozy. Let's bow our heads. Let us all pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this child, this precious child that you have given this wonderful couple that loves you. Thank you for these parents, these grandparents, these great-grandparents, all of this family. We ask you, Lord, to give this child a heart to serve you, a desire to live for you, a desire to work for you in the kingdom. Help him someday to come to the place he'll want to be baptized in your lovely name, filled with your spirit. God, help this family to train this child in such a way that it will love you till you, till the, you come for it. In Jesus' name, bless us all. Keep us together. Help this church to be the church it needs. In Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, at 5 o'clock, be free. 6 o'clock, prayer. 6.30, church. Let's come bring people ready for a Holy Ghost outpouring. God bless you. You can bring your tithe and be dismissed in the name of the Lord.